Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. All right, you guys, we're going to get started in just a moment, but I wanted to read a little bit about Holly. She came to Los Angeles in 1960, and in the early 60s, she worked at secretarial jobs and at high school teaching. Then in 1973 to 1974, she was hired by Poets in the Schools under a grant from the Federal Department of Labor as Master Poet Teacher for Southern California. Prado also taught widely in alternative educational situations, such as the Los Angeles Women's Building and Beyond Baroque Literary Foundation. From 1989 to 2009, she taught poetry in the Master of Professional Writing program at USC. And from 1975 to 2017, she taught private writing workshops. She lived with her husband, Harry Northrup, who is a film actor and a poet himself. They're both members of the founding, um, they're both founding members of Coenga Press. It's a poet, a poet publishing cooperative that has been publishing books of poetry since 1989. And they're a big friend of our store as well. So we're very excited that they're here today. So let's put our hands together for Harry Northrup. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christine. Well, the founding members are not only Holly and me, but James Cushing and Phoebe McAdams. And since this, since many people here know Holly, I won't go uh, into any further bio uh, to, to further out what Christine said. She never really taught at Beyond Baroque. That's one thing that she didn't do. Uh, but when I met her, she was living on Russell, which is the next street up a couple blocks on the other side of Hillhurst. And uh, that was in 1977. And what's interesting about that place is she had been living there for a while, and next door to her was Alvaro Cordono Hine and, her, uh, and his wife, Barbara Hughes. And he was a well-known poet and a painter. And Holly one time, one time went to the uh, poetry workshop that he taught, and there... Uh, Amin Awan, who was a poet and a gardener who died a couple of years ago, he introduced Holly to the prose poem, which Holly excelled in. And in the mid-70s, um, 76, 77, Holly had three books, of, three books published. She had Feasts, Nothing Breaks Off at the Edge from New Rivers Press, and Losses about the death of her father. So that was a big uh, turning uh, point for her. And Feasts... Uh, when Feast was published, she gave a reading in the back of the theater uh, where she gave the reading for uh, Feast. And Feast is a very intricate, circular, inner, uh, long poem with, the with themes interwoven. And it's, uh, this book is uh, stylistically is a similar, uh, it's a similar form in that she's very good at, at weaving themes. And when she was writing this, uh, she was reading Charles Olson's I Maximus, the Maximus poems, and also she loved Don DeLillo, who weaved very much. And so this takes place in the last, uh, not quite the last three years of her life, but in it, she, um, 
was very accepting of the, her illness and oncoming death. And she never complained. I mean, all that time, I mean, she had five major operations. There was a period where her body was actually slanted like that because of the shape of her hips. And she never complained. And, uh, and then only twice, you know, I take her to rehab, ER, hospitals. I only heard her complain one time, one big complaint, and one, uh, you know, she, was, she wanted a prescription that they hadn't given her. But uh, she uh, was very strong in that way. And there was also a sorrowlessness which came from her study uh, and practice of Buddhism toward the end of her life. She uh, really understood the cycles of life. She was very tuned in to nature, as many women are. And it, uh, the moon and the turning of the seasons meant a lot to Holly. And in her private class, I mean, there's a number of women here who studied with Holly. And uh, she was devoted to them, and they were devoted to her. I mean, if it weren't for the women who studied with Holly, all superlative writers, Kawanga uh, Press would not have as big a following. And uh, it was like a magic circle. So Holly always deeply loved the, uh, the women that she worked with. That was a big part of her life. Uh, so tonight, today what we're going to do, we're going to read uh, three uh, sections from here. One whole section, Phoebe and I will read. But what we'll do is James Cushing will start, and then Phoebe, and then me. But just a moment before uh, we begin, James Cushing is a professor of writing in English uh, at Cal Poly, and this may be his last year there. Uh, he's also the Port Laureate of uh, the former Port Laureate of SLO two, set, two times. He got his PhD from Irvine, and he's a has a radio show, and he's uh, he's had five books of published five books published. Phoebe McAdams. Uh, retired from Roosevelt High after teaching there for at least, what, 25 years, 26 years. And she's had many books of poetry. She's been involved in the poetry community in the New York Poets, up in Buffalo, Naropa, Bolinas, uh, Ojai, here in L.A. So all of us uh, in Coenga Press, this, this was our 26th book of poetry. And this is Holly's 13th book that she's had published. So that's a little bit of uh, background. And uh, one thing that uh, Christine may or may not have mentioned, I don't remember, Holly uh, wrote reviews for the LA Times for uh, nine years, and then she had a column for three and a half years. And what she did was, unlike a lot of people who review books for uh, big newspapers, they, they review a lot of big um, presses because the big presses take out ads. Holly would go through the bin of, uh, of books that they would get there. And she'd look for small press mags or small press books and look for you know, the small press uh, publications. Because if anybody knows anything about poetry, you know that 90% of the great work in poetry, especially the innovations, are done in the small presses. I mean, you can go back to you know, uh, Hogarth Press. You can go you know, Al, uh, uh, Virginia Woolf. You can go back to uh, Aeneas Nins press that she and her husband did. You can go Alice James books, a feminist press, you know, New Directions, Black Sparrow, Kawanga Press, among many others. So uh, with that said, uh, thank you all for coming and, uh, you know, for blessing this book right here. And be one last thing I just thought about before Jim reads, 
I, I was reading this this morning. It's a nice little piece uh, about what we're, if I can find it right here. Um, it's all about, it's all about remembering. Oh, right here, just a stanza. She says here, I won't go into what goes on beforehand, but uh, she says, no, we are better than this. We bow to our dead. We tell them their poems so they won't be lonely. We gather to form a clear circle. Remember, remember. Once after the death of a poet who had been part of my circle of poets, I heard many crows out on the telephone line who cawed and who cawed until I went out, listened to them. The urgency, surely the poet herself, 20 huge crows, 20 long poems. Their voices were gospel. Remember, James Cushing. Thank you, Harry. Thank you all very much for coming. Weather is Holly Prado's last book, and it's subtitled A Poem, A Chronicle. Since the entire book is one long poem in the, uh, in the form of a diary, uh, and the diary covers three years from October of 2015 through September of 2018. And each of those four years is divided, of course, into four seasons as the year is naturally divided. And so I'm going to uh, read the first, um, the first section of uh, year two, part one, October to December 2016, which is to say, uh, um, a poem with, a, with an autumnal setting and an autumnal cast. Uh, this is entitled Profusion. One. Today's O in October. The wheel of the years picking up speed. Exactly like two skinny boys outside the window. Short-sleeved white t-shirts, overlong jeans, their age is the time when nothing quite fits. They're caught on the wheel, just as I am, as all of us are in our weather's terse blue. This lunar month for old Celts marked the dream veil's quick thinning. Gort, which is ivy, opens the door, then twines at its closure. Be careful. We've entered Hecate's landscape. It's never full light, never straight fact. Wait until midnight, then use her black pen to write her a note. Sign it with darkest respect. Two. Last October was anger and loss. Today, all the pumpkins have come to the stores. Orange, the O of profusion, year's harvest as roundness, fat circles to show us we always return, knowing how little space can exist between earth and its crows who rush toward our dead, dead who can read what we send in the beaks. My password some days is solemn, and some days is one long, 
blank sigh. Some days I pour myself out. Most nights I recall that the ancients hid their bare faces from horror, from Hecate's death-giving mood. Persephone is dragged once again to the underworld, to Hades, her husband, god of all souls, where she reigns as soul goddess eating red pomegranates. The red is an unlit version of color, invitation to stare, wonder what souls really look like if this isn't it. I believe that it is, the roundness, the wheel, an inside packed full of seeds which any soul knows is the start of what's coming to birth. Don't worry. Mysteries have their conclusions which aren't ever answers. Gravity, weakest of forces, does hold us in place. Even the crows, sleek and bombastic, settle onto phone wires above me, say they need angels to help with their messenger work. I can't summon those forces, but I can locate candles, which angels adore. So, then, I do buy orange candles, along with pale brown ones like cinnamon sticks. I remember my friend who wished for a magical life. She died young. After some years, I dreamed her. Andrea waited across a broad river for a great celebration. She'd become queen of Halloween. We simply worshipped her power to enchant. Why am I sure that dreaming redeems what we need? Because I would rather believe than to give in to fang hiss, to a shudder brought with the winds, our ghost Santa Annas, give in to our fear that the unknown is blasphemous, horrid, a bony sharp fingernail scratching against our safe door. The unknown is only tomorrow, which does understand who you are what you deserve, what you can't live without. You will keep living until your last day. Then you'll join what you've wished for. No, of course I can't prove it. Three, October 12th, the moon visits our window. She's heading toward full. In another three nights, we'll have round and spectacular moonlight, which make, wakes me, then sends me to sleep once again. A kind moon, non-glaring, intelligent brightness, offering comfort in spite of the world's broken song. Yes, she can bring destruction, controller of tides, but not at this single moment when arrival means waking in bed seeing this moon through the window. We can depend on the moon and on the seasons. In this shaky October, political rancor, anniversaries recalling horrible breaks-ups, a friend unable to see, everyone's knees giving out, my collection of scarves collapsing in color-strewn ruin. The, the, the whole point is this, with Earth's tectonic plates shifting beneath us, we still can rely on lunar arrangement, on something alert in the dark.
One house in sunlight, the next house is covered with shadow. I go into the kitchen, think only of feeding myself. Here are the pears, then there are eggs. One high school friend voted the hair and the walk in our senior year, lived in a house with her parents, a house where she had her own bathroom. That's wealth, I believed. That's what you have if you're rich. I never had that, which now has no meaning at all since Carol is dead. Wealth grants some pleasures, but nothing like brown, ripe, bosque pears, or like musing on crows, crows who are yapping a lot in the street right behind me. They see into their cronus what we yearn for with mantras, sincere meditation, religious retreats. We try, bless our hearts, crows stare into themselves without sin, take what they've got, fly it up to the souls who are waiting for them. This year, I've lost three women to death, Maud Ann, my cousin Jean, Carolyn C., whose writing life mattered. Maud Ann gave me a couple of secrets. Jean was a sister. Carolyn wrote about Harry's day when small press magazines were given their due, editors talking and talking, Carolyn writing it down, getting her article into our LA Times, which never attends to the poets right here doing more work for the city than anyone knows. The poets are crows. Poets handle the angels with deft caw and sparkle. Four. Midday, I sit on the bed clearing my mind, but I fail at this clean, simple practice. The truth, I love thinking. I sit on the bed waiting for Harry and groceries. When I hear the door open, I give over to putting away cartons of milk, fresh salad greens, frozen skinny cow bars that I love. I love chocolate, thinking and chocolate. Five, Marvin Smallheiser has died. At his funeral, there was a rabbi there were his students, in the past I was among them, who, at his gravesite, performed his beloved Tai Chi. Marvin, crusty old Marvin, taught me Tai Chi with the patience he had when he knew someone took that art seriously. I did, having to learn it, then learn it again and again, since I was older than anyone, since I was never a dancer or athlete whose body remembers whatever is shown once or twice. Marvin said that Confucius said, some people learn after one or two tries, others take many, but everyone ends up knowing the very same thing. Marvin stood with me holding my elbow when I nearly tipped over trying to lift my right leg, turn it a little, set it in place, lift my left leg, turn it, such easy moves, but failure for me. Yet I did make small progress, and again more small progress, until I could do Yang-style long form with the others. 
When I am asked about my religion, I say I'm a Christian Jungian Taoist. The Tao is because Marvin taught me Tai Chi, turning a leg one way and then the other. Since Marvin has died, I've found a prayer that is Buddhist because Marvin said he was that more than anything else. In the prayer, there's a wish for us to be sorrowless. When I think of the deer who once dashed, when I think of the deer who once dashed through the grass where we practice Tai Chi, its marvelous grace, its animal strength, I think I can move more towards sorrowlessness, accepting what I am given, slow progress or smooth leaping joy. Dia de los Muertos, and here's my long list of those who have mattered to me, who are dead, whose names I recite, adding some every November 2nd. I read out loud, I take my time, and then I come back to November's profusion, October's bright O, meaning orange pumpkins, harvest, and everything Keats ever wrote. From year two, part one, from Holly Prado's Weather. Thank you. This is, this is year two, part two. Mother of us all. I always like sunshine on the houses across the street, Harry says, early New Year's morning. I do, too. Craftsman-style wood construction, well-porched houses where their owners have settled in like those sturdy bushes fronting the porch's length. The beginning year helps us reconsider. Kathleen tells me, calm, had a damaged cover, so she bought joy. She gave me love, each day a quote from a better soul than mine. I could never think of 365 messages of love set down to inspire, encourage, and make me more loving. Although I've been loved, my mother listened to me without judgment. My first best friend taught me how to laugh at Ogden Nash's silly verse. In fifth grade, my teacher came to my ballet recital Surely a ridiculous parade of little girls in wobbly slippers. Then she wrote a thank you note. Okay, these are my inclusions in my year-long book. You can call them love or joy or calm or anything you please. Harry calls it sunshine on sturdy houses. As I grew up, my mother let me sneak dabs of her perfume. I bought her white lilac for her birthdays. She bought herself white shoulders, knowing more about the body's pleasure than I could quite imagine. Our mothers showed us how to shave our legs, buy bras, wash monthly blood out of our panties with cold water. We ate Campbell's soup, homemade pies. Aunt Jeanette's black walnuts from her tree for cakes and cookies. I believed movie musicals were grown-up life I could expect. America was perfect as it was. 
except for everything we didn't see in movies or in our public white all-Christian school. Separation of church and state, not at Hartley Elementary, where the Christmas play rated as a big event. One year, I wore my mother's sequined rich, sequined rich green formal, hemmed. I was a noblewoman bearing gifts to baby Jesus, whose manger was in Hartley's auditorium. I was cautioned to walk slowly, nobly. Whatever nobly was, it was uncomfortable. I'd requested a classic sweatshirt, gray, for Christmas. I rode my fast bike anywhere I pleased until I felt my body weaken every menstrual month, until I fed onto, fell onto my bed, stared out the window, wondered what had happened. There wasn't pain, just puzzling melancholy, lack of energy to get my bike out of the garage, pedal to the local park and back, my beautiful Marin Schwinn bicycle, my closest relative, until my hormones took its place. I had little bras covering the body's secrets. Being a woman meant being secret, hidden in modest underwear and loose wool sweaters. I bought dressy shoes with one-inch heels as high as I could walk in. I took a class in ballroom dancing. I wasn't having fun, but taking step after step into deeper silence. The line between me and everybody else, permanent blue ink from a fountain pen I cherished, carried, me, carried with me every day back and forth to junior high. A pen became my bicycle. If this new year starts with girlhood, it progresses in its second week to rain, release from five-year drought, sloshy tires against the pavement out on Mariposa Avenue, ardent rhythms matching my CD, which plays Hildegard van Bingen's chants, sung reverently by four devoted women, medieval specialists, harmonizing in St. Ursula's hard story of virgin martyrdom. She refused to marry any pagan, even a prince. Maybe Ursula missed out on romance, or maybe she went straight to heaven. Powerful faith deserves respect, as rain deserves our reverence, deserves religious gratitude. Anybody who complains should just shut up. We need this more than we need dying trees, the dead grass lawns. With rain, the yards across the street, fallow, spiceless brown, have burgeoned into Irish green, a green that sings along with worship. Here comes another car splashing, amen. I'm alerted to a TV show defining God. The conclusion, consciousness survives after these present lives. Last night, sleepless, I turned in bed, 
wondering about this possibility. And then I heard my mother's voice. She said, I'm with you. These words had never come to me before, completely audible, repeated several times. She died in 1954. Has she been await waiting, alert, until she knew my friend had said, consciousness survives? I slept a little, not the whole night through, but enough to get me into mourning. Harry brings home roses with the yogurt, the toilet paper, and the walnuts. Red, 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 these flowers set in water, accompanied by greenery, now on our table in the place we keep for loveliness. Kuan Yin, goddess of compassion, meditates with the Cambodian wooden Buddha in our living room a corner where some sacred objects gather, including an orange pumpkin from the fall, which keeps its freshness next to Mr. Buddha, as I address him every morning. Kuan Yin, the great mediator, with her patient strength, may save us if we let her, if we keep ourselves attentive to her myth. When Kuan Yin reached the gates of paradise, she heard the cries of suffering people. So she returned to earth. She gave up eternal something beautiful for us. Her little statue has its place right next to Mr. Buddha. Harry said last night as we fell asleep, adios day. This new morning, he asks to warm my clothes on our floor heater, which he does for his own shirt and pants. We see nothing but politics grinding away on TV. There's fear in friends' voices as they give reports on Donald Trump, new president, on our own country's horrible divisions. I think of Anna Akhmatova, banned from Russia's approved list of poets, in poverty, in anguish for her son's imprisonment, speaking her poems to friends who memorized her lines until it was safe to write them down again. Lucky us, so far, we are warming our clothes, taking our baths, watching TV. Thousands and thousands last weekend marched in the street for women's rights, for our immigrants, for the natural world, for little knit hats keeping their ears from the chill. I marched through the 60s with that era's causes and slogans, anti-war, pro-civil rights. I haven't forgotten that nothing is solved. There's a new documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, James Baldwin's life. Here he is again in front of me, reminding me how ignorant I am, always because I'm white. I'm angry too, James Baldwin, with anybody thinking that I'm wrong to be exactly what I am, what I can't change, to be a woman, to have an old infertile body. I don't own houses or a business or portfolio with thick investments. We live here in East Hollywood which a restaurant critic once described as a decaying neighborhood. 
She would have seen, she should have seen that we are Latino, Filipino, Peruvian, white, African-American, Armenian. Frank, a handyman for our apartments, is Russian. When I told another handyman that Frank's repairs tend to be industrial strength, but ugly, <laughs> Ruby said, Soviet Union. Frank had sense enough to leave that stifling regime. Here in East Hollywood, I'm the lucky old lady at 1256 North Mariposa Avenue with the enormous metal shower head. Thank you, Frank. Harry. I already have two lemons. I think I've asked that two more be delivered. What's delivered? A bag full stuffed with yellow lemons. How can I make use of these? So many ripe lemons, so many, many lemons. Awake, I remember someone wise telling me about too many lemons from a tree. I like to put them in a bowl and look at them. Natural beauty, not always to be used, but to be admired. Plump lemons piled in a bowl, lemons just to look at. I have two more dreams of gifts to go with the lemons, the many, many lemons. I sort through soaps I have, deciding what I need to buy. Then, just behind me, I see new bars, delicious smelling soaps, the ones I love. Where have these come from? Then the final dream. I check a pile of panties in my drawer, re relishing the clean pairs, thinking that I have enough, although no woman ever has enough of favorite panties. And yes, suddenly right next to these, I find a new stack of exactly the kind of panties I have bought for years. Who has put them here? Who knows what I want so intimately? Awake, I write the dreams, and as I write, I realize only my mother would give me sun yellow fruit in winter, then fine soap along with panties nobody else would think to place in this one drawer. My mother obviously has been collecting evidence of all the years she and I have been apart. February, hinge, which gestures winter into spring. Not yet, not quite, but when today sweeps the world brain clean. Spring is never simply purple iris. It brings with it birth pangs, prehistoric fetal growl, mammalian throb, those swollen breasts. A man walks on our roof. He lops off overhanging branches from the Chinese elm, nobody can stop. Elm roots tangle through our pipes, make our toilet, sink, and tub a mess of sewage. Above us, branches cram themselves across the roof, scraping claws, unwilling to give up until they're cut then piled along the walkway, chopped into smaller pieces, finally taken to the trash. The tree remembers, though, how to make its branches and invasive roots 
I see we have just four more February days before we're into March, month of the vernal equinox, nature's fate combined with ours. Good or evil, whichever runs along the psychic road, the future path. Children's shouted laughter now outside our house could be long wail, loud keening for their tiny past, five or six or seven years they've lived, furnished themselves with memories, learned to write their swift identities across the top of any paper, given them to hold their names, not let go. Once we know our names, our private fate can find us. A man once said to me, women smell like olives. My menstrual blood carried the taste of iron. Why not be earth's flesh, olive salt and brine, iron strength? March, sacred to Mars, our necessary strength, iron in the blood and this month's stone, bloodstone, symbolizing courage. I take my courage from my history. Once I cried as I watched junior high school friends wave and wave, jump up and down until the train was too far down the track for me to see them. I cried as long as I could cry. Then I forgot the friends, the house I'd lived in all my life, forgot our vacant lots, catalpa tree, my secret lilac bush, the Civil War sword in our basement belonging to my own great-grandfather's courage, not to mine. For the time I needed courage, years, I lost the gift of crying. In ancient Rome, this month began the year. It carries spring. Of course, everything's beginning. The gods are cruel, the gods are kind. What will it be today? This painting on the wall, dark blood red, was something like the sun behind it. Blood mixed with light, today's first given. My thought a year ago, sometimes the best I can do is shut up. I wrote this as birds were swooping into spring, birds throat strong and whistling every day, birds swooning ecstatic, music that verges on lint, sacrifice, dying, then miracle. Lumina, blue letters, painted across the side of a white van going by, blue sky, white humming clouds, a van made of paint and sky, finishing March harshness. Harry lights a white candle in front of my breakfast. With a candle, you're never alone, he tells me. His love is always a mother as well as a lover to me. Interlude. I left the family dinner to go outside. I loved my mother and father, the aunt, uncle, and cousins gathered the dinner table, but suddenly I had to get away. Shivering in the early spring Nebraska weather where patches of snow still lay on the ground, trying to melt, but having a hard time of it. I headed for the alley that separated our house and yard from the Saunders, directly across from us. I walked looking down, watching my step, not sure where I was headed. Then, in the middle of the alley, lifting from a muddy pile of snow, I spotted a cluster of bachelor buttons. Their blue was a vivid purple blue, surprising and beautiful in the steadily darker evening. I knelt in the snow to look at the flowers, their ruffled petals like fragile wings. 
even at age 10, I understood the moment, nature's ascendance out of winter's dormancy. This was proof of God, no doubt about it. I told no one. My family and I shared a mild version of Protestant Christianity, benign enough, but our congregational church never satisfied me. Divine revelation in a common flower would have made no sense in a religion of memorized prayer, solid good works. In college, I lost my religious faith completely. Our snowy alley had nothing to do with passing Latin literature in translation. On my small college campus, there was art though, theater, painting, music, poetry. The art seemed to me a world of soul. How to join that world? I couldn't. I thought, I had no gifts large enough to offer soul. Ten years later, I fell from my Phi Beta Kappa rationality into emotional exhaustion. What gathered as despair became my gift to the bachelor buttons to find my own religion. I had to live within my dream life, within my true love of writing, my pull toward myth, symbology, archetypes, alchemy, prehistoric origins. I didn't find the answer, but the mystery, the sustaining mystery. Bachelor buttons are reseeding annuals, returning every spring. Once, a long time after my vision in the alley, I wrote in a poem of mine, I am returned to what I never left. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.